Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I'm going to share a testimony, if that's all right. You, you may be seated. You may be seated. Man, uh, I... I I don't always get to do this, uh, testify about God touching me. Uh, I, I actually have a few testimonies I want to share. A couple weeks ago, we prayed for one another, and uh, 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 there was a, a lady in our church that um, she came to, she, she told me after service, she said, I was praying that you would have each other pray for, for each other because I really needed God to touch my neck. And, um, she said, I'm, I'm having a really hard time looking to the right, and it hurts, and she had to go get an MRI done, and all these things, and um, we prayed for one another, and while we were praying for one another, she said, my neck popped, it went pop, 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 and then all of a sudden, she was like, I can move my neck with no pain, and she was telling me this after service, she's like looking all around, she's like, I have no pain in my neck, and so praise God, yeah, God's a healing God. You know, he, he knows how to align vertebrae. He knows your body better than you. He's counted the, the hairs on your head. And then over Thanksgiving, um, Amy's family is, uh, they like to play sports. And, you know, I played basketball for a little bit in my life. And I tried to play basketball like I was still in college. And I'm not in that type of shape anymore. I was like, you know, like I tell my body to move this fast and I'm like in slow motion compared to, I'm like, I'm supposed to be over here right now. And so I make myself and my body's like, you want, <laughs> you want me to respond like you were in college when you played basketball 30 hours a week and you played on the team and you haven't played basketball in two years now. You want me to still like my body was arguing with my brain. And with that said, I ended up hurting myself. And in high school, I tore this ligament in my knee. And playing basketball with Amy's family, I, um, we only played for maybe an hour and a half. And I got done. I was like, oh, my knee hurts. And I rolled my ankle. It, it was, I was a whole mess. Like, it, it was, it was, I was just a mess. But then my knee started to swell. And it just kept gathering water and gathering water. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking about, how I tore that ligament in high school. And then this is the same knee. One of the last youth events I did as a youth pastor, I had a student tackle me. And he popped my knee out of joint. And I kept telling Ames, I think I need to go get my knee taken care of. I can't hardly walk upstairs. And she kept saying, not till this baby's born. And she, went, <laughs> she wanted all the insurance to go to her. I'm like, Ames, that's not how insurance works. And finally, I went to the doctor, and he's like, your knee's out of joint. How long has it been like this? I'm like, four months. My wife wouldn't let me come. <laughs> so, and, and he popped it, but it, it would go in and out of joint really easy after that. And for two weeks, like, we got back from Thanksgiving, and um, Miss Mary Beth, our, one of our missionaries, was speaking. And I don't know if you guys remember, but I almost fell up these stairs. I couldn't hardly walk upstairs. My knee was so swollen, and so I'm like, 
in the back of my head, I'm like, I got to go find that knee brace set. Like I had a knee brace from when I had to go through physical therapy in high school. It, it, it's like a $1,500 knee brace. It goes from here to here, has huge metal rods. It just makes my knee feel tight. And because the thing is like when I was doing this, my knee would kind of like, it wouldn't swing straight. I'm like, I think I tore that ligament. And like, and no matter what I did, I couldn't get the. I was taking ibuprofen. I was icing. I was. I couldn't get the swelling to go down, the pressure to go down. And so I'm like, I'm just gonna make it through the end of the year, and I'm gonna keep wearing this knee brace. And so last Sunday I was wearing a knee brace, and um, a gentleman walked up and they prayed for me. And like, it hurts. It hurt to walk up stairs. It, like there was just pressure up under my kneecap and down the left side of my leg. And it, it just hurt. And so, like, the whole time I'm trying to stand on my left leg. And um, and uh, so they prayed for me. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm a person that when Jesus laid hands on the sick, he told them to pick up their mat. He told them to get up. He told them to go do something. So me, I'm like, they're led to pray for me. I'm going to walk up and down stairs. So I just started walking up and down these stairs. I'm trying to test my knee out to see if it hurt to see if there's any pain in it. I'm like, dude, the pain's gone. Like, it was, there was no pain in it, but the pressure was still there. Like, it still had pressure, it still felt loose, but I didn't have pain. I'm like, God, you don't halfway do things. Like, what, what, what is going on here, Lord? Like, I, and, and, and to top it off, like, last week, I know this is a long testimony. I'll get you guys out of here by 3 o'clock. But, Last week, I went to the gym, and I tried to leg press some stuff just to see, and I couldn't hardly leg press 100 pounds. Like, it hurt so bad. And before last week, I was leg pressing 415 pounds. So, like, the difference, it was, I, I was like, I, my leg is clearly injured. And I was, I called my wife. I said, Ames, I really, I think I really messed my knee up. Like, I can't hardly put pressure on it. It hurts. Um couldn't get the swelling down. Well, suddenly, miraculously, God removed all the pain. And I'm like, but my knee still felt loose, so I kept wearing my knee brace. And then Tuesday, I had to make a phone call concerning some issues with our building. And um, I, I called uh, Mr. Randy Tosh, and he said, the Lord wanted me to tell you this, but you were talking to a bunch of people after service, but I think I need to tell you this now. The whole time you were preaching last week, this went through my head. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And I just said, Lord, I receive it. So the next day, I just took my knee brace off, and I quit wearing it. And then the next day, I went to the gym, and I, I was able to leg press um, 275 pounds with no pain whatsoever. And, like, I'm, I'm telling you, God completely healed my knee. There's no swelling. There's no pain. It's tight. And... I want to give all praise and glory to Jesus. He's a healing God. I know. I, I was laying hands on my knee this whole time. I'm like, Lord, you you use me all the time to heal people. Heal me. I need. And and he wasn't. He was like, No, no, it doesn't work like that. I'm the healer. I'm like, I know, but I just need you to heal my knee. And he wasn't. But people stepped out in faith. People stepped out in faith. And they were obedient, and the Lord used their obedience. And I say all that to say, man, God is a healing God, and I truly believe you are going to be completely healed. Like, when God says something crazy to me, like, 
there are people that are having right hip pain. Right hip pain. I want to heal them. I'm going to go for it. If I look like a fool, that's fine. But man, what if? What if I didn't say that? And you walked out of here with pain. But what if? What ifs work both ways? So what if I do step in faith and God completely heals sciatica? God completely heals. Man, he's a healing God. With that said, we're going to jump in to our sermon today. We are in the Christmas edition of Jesus is Greater. We're looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And um, it's going to be a great day. Anytime we gather together as a church, it's a great day. It's a great day. We, I'm, I'm honored and privileged. One of our missionaries is, is in service with us, a, a, whole, a whole missionary family, the Keys family. Um, you guys, we, we started supporting them last year, correct? Or, or was it this year? Last year? Last year. Get this. Their budget's raised, and they're leaving in January to go on the mission field. Come on, let's give it up to Jesus. It, that's exciting. Um, that is so exciting. I can't wait to see and hear the testimonies of the lives and generations that are going to be changed. Man. So let's, let's jump in. We are talking about a section of scripture today that is so often associated with the nativity scene. We're talking about the wise men. So I'm going to wreck some of your guys' nativities just right out the gate. I'm just going to ruin your childhood and all the nativities you set up. The wise men were not there. Okay? Number two, there was not three of them. There was probably hundreds of them. And we'll get into that. Historically, like, whenever you read the Bible... It is a very good practice not to interject our circumstances and our understanding on Scripture when that Scripture was written 2,000 years ago in a completely different culture. So to understand the Bible correctly, we actually have to look at the cultural context of how things would be understood. Even though it is cute to have three little wise men with tiny little boxes, it's just... Uh, even, even if you take away, it's just not practical. Why would they travel thousands of miles to bring boxes this big? Like, if you're going to travel that far, you might as well make it worth your time. But, I know, I know. If you guys want biblically accurate um, nativities, you actually need to go remove all the wise men. The shepherds can stay. They were there. They were there. But... All right, let's, let's get into this. Verse 1, Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. I, 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 want, I want to stop just for a moment. I, I want you to see the context. If there are just three men that showed up asking this question, 
in a town that even back then was probably 100,000 people or more. They said during, during Passover, Jerusalem would swell up over a million people. So it was already a big city. It was the capital of Israel. If three people showed up saying, where's the king of the Jews? It wouldn't have really made a ripple. But when you have hundreds of people showing up saying, where's the newborn king of the Jews in a big caravan, it gets people's attention. King Herod was deeply disturbed, um, as everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of, uh, for my people Israel. When Herod called for a private, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, did you hear that? Everyone say, that night. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her, for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. How is that a joyful story in Christmas? I'm going to give you a bonus thought today. 
I, ha I have two thoughts for you, but as I was looking at this last night, I, I started to think about how our enemy's strategy doesn't change. He has the same old tricks, the same, the same old things throughout history. He's done this. Anytime God wants to raise up a person to set people free, what does the enemy do? He tries to kill the children. Moses, God was going to raise up Moses, and Satan had Pharaoh kill all the Hebrew children. And God set Moses apart to be spared. And that was just to set people free from a nation. When God was going to set people free from sin and death, he sent his own son into this world to set people free from sin, death, and the grave. Satan tried to kill him. Satan tried to kill. He, 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 was, he wasn't going to risk it. He was going to have all the boys killed in and around Bethlehem. All of them. But God spared. He, he spared Jesus to fulfill his purpose. And I believe when I look at our nation, not just our nation, but the world, but specifically our nation, I believe that God is raising up a generation. I believe he's raising up such a generation that's sick of church as it is, that is going to walk in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and they're going to see people set free through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that is why over the last 50 years, the enemy has tried to kill a generation He's massacred children before they were even born. His strategy hasn't changed throughout history. But God is raising up a remnant. And there's going to be people raised up in this coming generation. And the generation has been born during this time of abortion. And they're going to see the move and power of God like they've never seen before. Because whenever God is about to do something, Satan always tries to massacre the children. But God is a, a God, I'm telling you, church, God is about to pour out his spirit on this nation so heavily. That's why we need to pray for the next generation. Man, the latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain. The, the, the latter outpouring of the spirit is going to be greater than the, the former outpouring of the spirit. What we've seen in the past, what you've seen in the past is nothing compared to what your children are going to see. Your grandchildren are going to see. God is raising up a generation. To set people free. To set people free. Satan, he doesn't get the hint, does he? His plans never work. His game plan never changes. And God always sets aside a remnant to accomplish his purpose. My prayer for my children day in and day out. Father, I pray that they will reach more people for the gospel, more than every generation before them in our family and less than every generation after them. That's my prayer. I want them to understand the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit so much more than I ever could. One day I want to sit and listen to them preach and learn. God's raising up a generation and you might be part of that generation. It really comes back to 
our willingness to say yes. You might be part of what God's raising up, what God's calling out. You can walk in all the power of the Holy Spirit. It all goes back to yes. Yes, Lord, use me. Yes, Lord, I'm available. Yes, Lord, I will do that right now. With that said, that's not what I'm going to talk about today. I just thought it was an interesting point. We are talking about God's provision and how God works differently than expected. So the title of my message is God Works Differently. God works differently than expected. And the first thought I have for you today is God provides, God provides for what he asks of us. God provides for what he asks of us. We step into this beautiful Christmas story. These wise men show up, causing a huge stir, and they get pointed to Jerusalem. They go to Bethlehem. Contrary to popular belief, they weren't at the nativity. They didn't show up in the middle of the night. And contrary to popular belief, the nativity was not a barn. It was a lower room in a house where they kept animals. If you look at the first century and how they built, houses just didn't have stables like that. And contrary to popular belief, they didn't have inns either. What the Jews did in the first century and what, would be, what, what is interpreted as an inn is Jews would build their house and they would have like a lower section. It would all be, the, the first floor would kind of have like a lower section where they keep the animals, an upper section where the family would cook, eat, and stay. And then almost all Jewish houses in and around Jerusalem especially would have a top room on top of the roof. And what that was, it was for people who had passed through. It was just a place for them to stay, and that's what's translated as in. And, and so because Caesar decreed that, that people had to go back to their ancestral homes, there was an influx of people, and there was no rooms available. So everyone, and, and Jews, according to the law, they couldn't charge for people to stay with them. Like, they would have to let them stay freely, and, and, and they also couldn't turn people away, but that's why they would build these rooms on top of their houses. And that's even back in the Old Testament. They did that for the prophets. They would build rooms on top of their houses so when they would pass through, they could stay. And so when Joseph showed up with Mary, the reason why that was the first silent night, he forgot to book the room. I'm just joking. Um, there, was, there was just all the, all the rooms were taken up. And so because of Jewish law, they couldn't turn them away. So all they had was this lower room in their house where the animals would stay, where they would, they would bring them in at night. And so that's what they had. It wasn't like a separate stable or anything like that. Um, I, I know that makes good movies and cool nativities and everything like that, but when you look at historical context, it's wrong. I'm sorry, I just wrecked like, just just go build a little nativity out of Legos and get it historically right. But that that's what it would that's what it would look like. And so we, we step into this story, and the wise men are showing up, and 
And a lot of people believe, there's a few scholars believe that Jesus was two years old when the wise men showed up. Because Herod killed all the, the children two years old and younger, and a lot of scholars, uh, not a lot, but there's some scholars also believe that because the, the, the star first appeared two years before. But the majority of people that are much smarter than me lean towards the, to this idea that the, the Magi, the wise men, showed up about 12 days after Jesus was born. It was enough time for Mary and Joseph to find a place and, and to be in a house, not considered the stables. And the word there for child is translated in, in the Greek, it means both newborn and toddler. It, it's both. And so with that said, moving forward, we're going to look at this from the perspective of Jesus being 12 days old. They weren't at the nativity, but most of the evidence points to them being there when Jesus was a newborn. So we step into this narrative, and we, get, we have so much stuff in our head because we grow up with nativities, right? We grow up with three wise men, and we have that in our head because there was three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when you look at the context, it says these wise men, these magi, these astrologers, it's actually the, the more accurate term for them would be astrologer. They studied the stars. And when they were coming from the east, on average, they believed that the journey that these astrologers were taking took anywhere from four to six months. Four to six months or longer, it depends on how far east they came from. I want, I want you to think about that. Four to six months. And whenever you go through trade routes, it's very common, if you just look, there would be raiders along trade routes. And so what people would do, especially if they're transporting goods, is they would hire, a, they, they would attach themselves to a convoy, or they would hire almost like an army to protect them. And these were royal astrologers. So they weren't just well, we're going to get the chains out of our pocket and find anything we could find. They were traveling thousands of miles with protection, and there was probably hundreds of them carrying these three items. So when they show up in Jerusalem saying, where is the king of the Jews? Everyone's frightened. The whole city is what are they talking about? To the point where the king, the, the king, Herod, he's not really a king, he's appointed by Rome, says, get them in here. I got to find this. I got to find out. And so he tells them, go to Jerusalem and then come back and report to me because he wanted to kill. He didn't want anyone to challenge his reign. We, we get through all this. They show up. They walk into the house. Imagine... Imagine with me for a moment what Mary must have been thinking. Just nine months before this, she's minding her own business. 
And an angel shows up in her house and says, you're going to be the mother of God. You're going to, and she's like, how can I bear a child? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And, and he, he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. He will save his, his people from their sins. And she's like, let it be so. And then suddenly she's pregnant. She has to go um, down to Bethlehem because she's um, engaged to this man. But it was, much, it, was, it was more than just an engagement. It was more legal binding. And, and so Joseph has to go to Bethlehem to, to do the census. And while they're there, Jesus is born, which ironically fulfills prophecy. Like, it, like by chance, they're thinking, oh, we have to travel. She's nine months pregnant, you know. And, but God's fulfilling prophecy. God made Caesar declare a census to get Mary into Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy. And while they're there, she has this baby. And as she's wrapping this baby in swaddling clothes, all these yahoos named shepherds show up and worship. And, they're de- and, and suddenly they're just declaring, dude, thousands of angels just appeared overhead. And they told us to come into to Bethlehem to worship the newborn Messiah. And they told us where he would be. And we've never seen anything like it. And they, they fall down and, and, and they say, it's exactly how they said that they, he would be wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a, in a feeding trough. And, and, and Mary's like, what? I mean, angels are declaring this to the most unlikely, the lowest of the pay grade people. And shepherds are showing up that night. And that's the last thing you want, right? I mean, I've never delivered a baby, but I could imagine you don't want a ton of people showing up right afterwards, and yet God is being worshipped by the lowest of the pay grades. And then about 12 days later, hundreds, if not thousands of people show up in Bethlehem, which is a tiny little town, two miles outside of Jerusalem. And they show up with this story. Two years ago, we saw a star, (laughs) and the stars told us that the king of the Jews would be born. And so, six months ago, we set out on this journey to come worship you, or come worship the, the child. Imagine what Mary's thinking, like, what is going on? Like, I know, I know that he's a special child, I know he's a son of God, but these things keep on happening. All the while, what's in front of them, they would have never called. What's in front of them, they would never call. They leave. They listen. There's two dreams in this narrative, and I, I, think, I think it's so important. I believe that God has given some people dreams, and we've ignored them. We've ignored the dreams that God's placed in our hearts, and, and that is such a tragedy. Because there are things that are depending on your obedience to, your, to, the, to the God dreams that he's placed in you. The, the Magi got dreams. They, they got a dream and said, do not go back to Herod. They left a different route. And then right after they left, Joseph got this dream. And he said, you must flee to Egypt to fulfill another prophecy. 
God always keeps his word. Think about about the faith that this man, Joseph, we don't know much about him, but both times he has dreams, he steps in faith, and he responds. And and I, and I, I don't know who needs to hear this right now, but there is something to be said about the obedience of Joseph. When God lays something on your heart, when God tells you to do something, how we obey matters. I believe obedience to God when we know it is God. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know that it is God. It needs to be quick, it needs to be deliberate, and it needs to be faith-filled. If God is telling you to do something, you need to obey quickly. You need to obey deliberately, and you need to be faith-filled that God is going to provide every step of the way. Joseph got up and left that night. That's mind-blowing. It's one thing, either way, whether Jesus was 2 or 12 days old, it would have been a nightmare. If you guys have ever traveled with a 2-year-old, I can only imagine little Jesus. Well, he probably didn't ask. He probably knew that they weren't there yet. But (laughs) are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Like, Jesus, you know. You're just being annoying at this point. But imagine traveling with a 12-day-old. Not having the luxuries of a car with shocks. Imagine traveling not just a few miles. It's like takes about five days to get from Galilee, where they were, down to Bethlehem. doesn't take very long. But to get from Bethlehem to Egypt... That's a much longer journey. Hundreds of miles. Imagine, ladies, delivering a baby and then having to ride on a donkey or a horse or in a cart. And God, that's what he asked. But what's so beautiful about this is Right before he asked them to leave, what did he give them? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All very valuable, all very tradable, and in large quantities. So what God asked of them, he provided. And someone needs to hear that. If God's asked you to do something, he will provide the means to do it because it's not on you to fulfill it all God needs from you is your obedience some of us need to be like Joseph we need to be like Joseph and say yes Lord I will do this I'm going to obey quickly and the reason why we have to obey quickly if we don't obey God quickly we will talk ourselves out of it we will talk ourselves out of it. We'll start saying stuff was like, was that me or God? Uh, I don't know. Like all that, because you know what? You know those moments when God gives you an instruction, you have, the, you have the faith to take on hell with a squirt gun and you're ready to go. You're ready. And then you wait. On that obedience, and suddenly that faith kind of wanes. 
and you wait on that obedience and the faith kind of wanes, the ask is still there. God's still asking. But your, your obedience kind of wanes and you're like, I, I, and suddenly you're not so sure anymore that it was God that told you to do it. You're like, ah, that could have been me. I was just caught, caught up in the moment. And, uh, I, uh, I, I, and we talk ourselves out of it. Joseph had a dream. He could have woke up and said, man, man, that was, that was some crazy tacos the night before. I had this dream that Herod's going to kill all the kids in this town. And that's, 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 that's crazy. That's crazy talk. And we could just brush it off. We could just brush it off. Or we could say, okay, I'm going to respond to this. God gave me a dream, and I'm going to obey, obey quickly. I'm going to obey deliberately, and I'm going to keep my faith to do it. Our obedience has, has to be filled with faith, and it has to be faithful. God literally sent them the funds to sustain them for what he asked of them. Not just, they weren't there for like a week. They were there for years. And God sustained them. To the point where when Herod finally died and they were going to come back, the, the Lord told them to come back, he told Joseph, hey, don't go back to Bethlehem. Go back to Galilee. Which, not just any town in Galilee, go to Nazareth, which fulfilled another prophecy. That he would be called a Nazarene. Which, all this fulfilled all these prophecies of different prophets in the Old Testament. And all the people weren't connecting the dots at the time. Like, well, I thought he was supposed to be from Bethlehem. But God said he's going to be called out of Egypt. But Jesus is a Nazarene. And Jesus is actually all three. He's from Bethlehem, got called out of Egypt, and he's also called a Nazarene. As I, was, as I was writing this last night, I really felt like I needed to tell someone this. God's called you out of something. He's called you out of something, and you're still there. And I feel like I need to tell you, if you stay, you will die. Perhaps not physically, but if you continue to stay where the Lord's called you out of, you will die spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. If the Lord's called you out of something, the enemy wants to keep you there to still kill and destroy everything about what the Lord's called you out of. There's a reason why God is calling you to move. You can't stay stagnant in your relationship with the Lord anymore. You must choose, like Joseph, I'm going to obey instantly and deliberately, in faith and by faith. I know that's a big ask. 
I know that's a big command. That's a big statement. But I know this, that if God is telling you to do something, he's already provided the means for you to do it. You can't stay where you're at any longer. That might not be a word for everyone, but there are people here that have been stagnant. And you're waiting on God to do something. But God is saying, no, it's time for you to step I've called you out. I've given you the next step. And you're, you're wanting God to give you the next 10 steps, and he's not. He's saying, move. God didn't tell Joseph where they were going to be living. God didn't tell Joseph what he would be doing. God didn't tell Joseph anything. He just told him the next step, go to Egypt. That was it. And he provided along the way. But I am telling you, as you step in faith, God will provide every step of the way. And the second thought I want to leave you real quick, last thought, my closing thought, now it's going to be 45 minutes. You know when Pastor says, this is my closing thought, it's never actually closing. you got another hour and a half. I'm joking, it won't be that long. It'll be longer. So, how God provides is different than expected. Some of us get this idea in our heads that God works in a cookie-cutter box way that we expect God to do it this way and that way. And then sometimes he'll do something in a way we didn't expect, and then we don't even recognize that it's God that's doing it because it's not how we expected him to do it. But God provides different than expected. This is so key to understand just not just in provision but in your walk with God there's so many times that God does something that I completely don't understand it's like God comes in out of left field on a field that I'm not even playing on I'm over here playing on this field and God's over there 10 fields down and he comes in out of that field and and shows up in my situation. I'm like, I would have never called that. I did not see that coming. I don't know how that worked, but that's how God works. If you could figure God out, he would not be God. You would be. But God shows up in ways that that we can't call, that we can't see, that we we don't understand. And he provides in ways that we can't call, we, we don't understand, we can't see. And this is a perfect example of how God shows up. Mary and Joseph are just trying to get settled into a new life in Bethlehem. They... They moved up in life. They got out of the manger and into a house. And suddenly God shows up. And he doesn't just show up. He shows up in mass quantities of people and mass quantities of loot, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then he tells them, to leave where they just got to. You can't, you can't figure out God. God provides different than expected. God shows up different than expected. I want to look at the timeline real quick. 
I'm going to look at the timeline from the perspective that the Magi showed up 12 days after Jesus was born. Because that's, that's the most common held belief. We, we really don't know. And, but quite frankly, it doesn't matter whether Jesus was 12 or 2. At the end of the day, God provides different than expected. God provides what he asks of us to do. But let's look at the timeline from the perspective that Jesus is 12 days old. Think about this for a second. God put a star in the heavens a year and three months before Mary was visited by Gabriel. Possibly before Mary and Joseph were even betrothed. We don't know how long they were betrothed, but a year and three months is a fair amount of time. Before Mary was even consulted and told that she would bear the Messiah, God was telling people thousands of miles away the king of the Jews was to be born. While Mary was still at her cousin Elizabeth's house in her first trimester, this convoy of magi and astrologers thousands of miles away set forward on a six-month journey while Mary was still in her first trimester. To get there at the precise time to provide for this family to do what God asked them to do. If you're wondering, how can I do this? I don't, like, I don't have the means to, to do what God asked me to do. God is so sovereign. He's so direct. He's so intentional that he hasn't left out one detail. And all he's waiting for you to do is say yes. And think about the source of this provision. I... I it, it racks my mind. It doesn't even make sense. Jesus, the Son of God, the King of the Jews, the fulfillment of the law, God chose to use pagans, people who worship stars, people who didn't even worship the God of Israel to show up to worship the God of Israel. Instead of using a wealthy family in Israel that followed the, the, the God of the Bible, that followed Jehovah, God could have done that. He could have used people that weren't pagans. He could have used people from, but he didn't. He used people that were thousands of miles away, that knew nothing about Judaism and their religion, that were complete pagans and completely lost to show up to provide for his son.
Don't put God in a box. Because he might blow your mind with how he provides. And it might be from a source that like, how can God ever use them? If we ever get that attitude, we need to look in the mirror and say it again. Because if God can use me, he can use anyone. God's not confined to religion or relationship. These men were learning about the Son of God through stars. Enough that it compelled them to leave their homeland with gold, frankincense, and myrrh to come worship the king of the Jews. I'm telling you, God is working on your behalf. God is working on your behalf. God, but he provides different than expected. He moves different than expected. That very thing you're worried about, God has already sent the answer before the seed of the issue was planted. The very, I'm going to say that again so we can chew on it, but the very thing that's stealing your joy, the very thing that's stealing your peace, the very thing that you're wrestling with in your heart, God has already sent the answer before the seed of that issue was planted. Just trust him. What did Mary and Joseph do in this whole narrative? They just sat back and they watched God. And then when God told them to do something, they did it. They didn't have to do a single thing to get the provision to them. They didn't have to try to work an angle. They didn't have to try to like, um, work people. They just sat back, and God sent it. I don't know who needs to hear this, but trust God. He's working on your behalf. He's working on your behalf. God chose pagan astrologers to provide for his son. It's just mind-blowing. It doesn't make sense. And since Jesus is our older brother, how much more does God provide for his children? But the greatest provision, the greatest provision God has ever and will ever provide for you is an empty cross and an empty tomb. And if, if you're here today or listening online and you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I, I want to tell you that is the greatest provision. What, what does that mean? What does the empty cross mean and what does the empty tomb mean? It means that Jesus restored a relationship with our Father. The Bible says this, God made him who knew no sin 
to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. What does that look like? It looks like, number one, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. I believe that Jesus was rose to life on the third day. You believe these three things, you're halfway there to becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus, to becoming the righteousness of God. What is righteousness? That's such a churchy term, isn't it? It means right standing. God gave us right standing with him through an empty cross and an empty tomb. Then we simply say, God, here's my life. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus didn't just go to the cross to go to the cross. He went to the cross to pay a debt that you can't pay. You can't pay. If you spent eternity trying to repay the debt of your sin to God, you couldn't pay it. But Jesus, in your place, went to the cross and died to pay a debt that you can't pay. And all we have to do is, like Mary and Joseph, receive it. Receive the provision of salvation. It's all on Jesus. He did all the heavy lifting. He did all of it. The whole culmination of the Christmas story isn't the manger. It's the empty tomb. It's the empty tomb. Jesus came so that you could have relationship, not just, not just so we could pass out presents once a year to one another and sing the first Noel or whatever you guys sing. It's so that we can have relationship. And it's giving your life to Jesus. It's not just saying, Jesus, forgive me. That doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't make you born again to say, Jesus, forgive me. It's so much more than that. Because the reality of it is, any sin that you've ever committed and will ever commit is already forgiven. It's forgiven. What makes you born again is making Jesus Lord of your life, giving your life to him. It's not just a prayer prayed. It's a decision day in and day out. Jesus, you're Lord of, of all of me. We sang it earlier. You're Lord of all of me. Sometimes I think that we, we get the sinner's prayer. That's a great tool. But we think, oh man, I said this prayer, so I'm a Christian. No, it's a life lived for Jesus. It's confessing with my, my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in my heart. It's both. There is an action and a belief. And if you're here today and you need to make Jesus Lord of your life, man, I'm going to be right up here. I'm going to pray with you. It's so simple. It's Jesus, come be Lord. I believe that you're the son of God, that you died on the cross for my place, that, that you rose to life. Come be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. And you believe that. It's more than a prayer. It's, it's, it's a decision. Maybe you're here today and you haven't been living for Jesus. And you, you, you need to give some stuff to him. 
The altars are going to be open. Maybe you're here today and the Lord has put some dreams in your life and he's asked you to move and he's asked you to step in faith and you've been stuck and you're saying, God, I need boldness to move. Man, I find that worshiping God is such an amazing tool to push me to build my faith. The reason why worship is such an amazing tool and how we fight against doubt is because worship lifts us up above our circumstances and we fix our eyes back on who Jesus is and we say, you know what, God, if God's called me, he'll provide and it sets our hearts right. So maybe you're here today and you say, I, I, need, I need faith. I would challenge you to not just go through the motions of worship, but to truly lift up the name of Jesus and remind your heart and your head who he is and let God give you that faith again to step. What I don't want to happen though is if you need prayer or you need God to reinvigorate you, that you stay where you're at. That's the last thing that needs to happen. None of us should walk out of this place the way we walked in because we've encountered God. So let's stand. I'm gonna be up here. Amy's gonna be up here. And if you need prayer, we'll be up here to pray for you. Any need, if you need God to reinvigorate you and pull, put faith back in you, to believe, to step, let's worship Jesus. Let's celebrate him.